Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 310, Asymmetric Role-Playing Game Design. Presented by Jason Petr, Spencer Campbell, Sasha Moroz, Ben Robbins, and Caroline Hobbs. Uh, my left, uh, well, <laughs> to my random direction, is going to be Carolyn. Please introduce yourself, Carolyn. I'm Caroline. Um, I'm with Less Than Three Games. Um, I'm in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., um, and I'm really excited to be here. What, what games have you made? Oh, oh I've made uh, Downfall, <laughs> which has some asymmetric um, roles within it. Um, and the current project I'm working on right now is called Fedora Noir, um, which also has some asymmetry involved. All right, Ben. I'm Ben Robbins. Uh, I made a Microscope, but really probably more relevant to today's discussion, I made Kingdom, which is a very asymmetric game. Um, I also played, uh, I ran Story Game Seattle for about eight years, which is where I play, met and played with uh, a ton of fantastic gamers, including uh, Caroline and just a lot of other people, and it really explored a lot of games um, like this, and we played a ton of Kingdom. Very nice. Uh, Spencer. Hello, I'm Spencer Campbell. Uh, I write, I guess I publish under the moniker Gila RPGs. Uh, if you know me, you probably know me from Corvid Court or from Slayers, which is my asymmetric monster hunting game, which is why I'm here today. I use he, him pronouns. And Sasha. Hi, I'm uh, Sasha Morris. Um, my pronouns are um, they and she. Um, I um, made um, three games that deal in asymmetric stuff. Um, well, in heavy asymmetric stuff, which are um, of bodies, of pieces, and um, and enticement, um, all to different degrees. Um, some of them more like the thematic um, asymmetry of storytelling, and some more in like strict GM player relationships. Wonderful. And um, as I said, Jason Pitt, he, him. Uh, I've done two uh, asymmetric role playing games in different styles. One was very recent, which was Palanquin or palanquin, uh, depending on your pronunciation. Uh, and um, earlier on, I did a game called Posthuman Pathways, uh, which had a very strong asymmetry. So I will be moderating this little panel and uh, taking any questions. So if you have any questions uh, and you're watching the stream chat, please feel free to type in question plus your question and we'll try to get to them as if time permits. So now let's get to this. What is an asymmetrical game? Let's let everyone have a chance. So uh, let's start with uh, Sasha. Huh. Um, so I think like the two big ways of defining asymmetry for me is like um, because we're dealing in TTRPGs, it's rules and uh, story and like storytelling um, and 
because the CTMG does two things interact for me um, very strongly. So um, we like saying that, um, if, especially like as a Lubic game designer, I would tend to say that um, when there's when there's difference in storytelling between players, when there's different storytelling um, um, storytelling tendencies or storytelling tasks, even if they're not defined as rules, they are still they still behave very very similarly to rules. So um, yeah, so to me like there's this difference in um, in uh, authority in um, in what you have to shoulder in the story, what you're telling, that kind of stuff. <laughs> All right, Ben, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think yeah, what Sasha says is 100% right. That the distinction between like uh, fictional control, like do I do I make up different elements of the world versus actual mechanical worlds being different. Um, and I think a big thing, of course, is uh, also questions of like. Can you change? Like D and D, for example, is asymmetric, and there's, there's a GM and there's players, but that's rigid, that's set. Um, whereas in other games, you can change what roles you have. Um, maybe having overlapping roles, like all those questions, are very important. Um, uh, but basically, it's it's the um, yeah, it's how you're playing the game differently than the other players, um, and not just because you chose to, but because the rules are are telling you to play the game differently. Uh, what do you think, Caroline? I think in all games, um, we're able to um, bring our own voices to the fiction, and we're all going to embody characters and create stories differently. But I think what stands out in an asymmetric um, game is that as players, we have at different points in the game different um, avenues for um, changing the fiction more directly. And so an asymmetric game to me is one where a player, uh, players have differences in how they can um, impact the fiction, how they can be a narrator within the story. And Spencer, I I think everybody has has really kind of nailed it so far. Just to kind of emphasize for me, when I think about asymmetrical games, I do think more in the spectrum of mechanical differences in terms of asymmetry. Um, so for me, an asymm Asymmetrical game is almost like a series of mini games that are all in the same box. Um, we see that in like the board game space, uh, and I think we can see that in some role-playing games too, where everybody is quite literally doing something very different from one another. Yet we are our mechanics are running smoothly, and we're telling a cool story, as uh, my fellow panelists have mentioned. Yeah, I think getting to kind of leaving off what Spencer said, it's like there's a difference between a game where it's asymmetrical because you have a different victory condition, like I'm trying to achieve a different goal, versus a, a game where I'm mechanically doing something different to achieve maybe the same goal or maybe a different goal. Um, I think the, the second part, the um, playing differently is a much more interesting asymmetric space than like, oh, we just have different goals because that's we're, we're still playing the same, but we just have different agendas, which mm -hmm. is not, I think, uh, uh, really as interesting of us. Of So, um, I have an analytical framework that I tend to use for games in the four structures. Uh, system, setting, subtext, and situation. And I view that there can be asymmetry on all four of these axes. Uh, system, you can have mechanical differences between the different participants. Setting, uh, you can have characters who are representing different portions of the setting. Um, one of my favorite one examples of this is um, the uh, 13 Warriors, uh, where it's a bunch of uh, uh, Vikings 
Oh, that and yeah, you're right. A, <laughs> that uh, <would> be right. <laughs> and a Moorish poet. Uh from one of the Southern Caliphates. Uh and like they're yes, you are a totally different portion of this setting. So you're coming into it with different uh goals. Um there can be different uh subtext. So I'm dealing with the themes of warfare and trauma, whereas you're dealing with the themes of familial relationships and obligations. And then you can also have it in different situations. So we're all cyberpunks going on this job, but I'm actually the boss in charge of this, and you're my minions. Um, and we've got these like different power differentials and we're representing different portions of the broader situation that is driving us into play. So that's sort of how I use that analytical framework fairly often, and I view that there's each of these different areas can have a different level of asymmetry, and actually nothing's even across all of these. You're always going to have variation on at least one of these axes. Or it's rather boring, honestly. <laughs> We all have the same rules, come from the same place, have the same role in our group, and we're all exploring the same themes. I mean, maybe I would, fiasco? I would also throw in that, um, like, if you have, a, like, it depends on the story you're telling. If you're, starting, if you're telling a story about, like, one entity, um, then using symmetry is not as useful, like, then symmetry is useful because you're also telling the story about the same person, just, like, taking turns or interjecting with each other or something. So then you don't need it, but... As soon as you start start playing with characters or with different actors, then asymmetry starts to surface because people have different play styles. People want to play in different ways, but want to tell stories in different ways. And um, I think a lot of good game design will try to support that in some ways. We'll try to set it up. We'll try to um, like give people like opportunities. So uh, I think like when we talk about these different axes, um, if I see like a, a kind of asymmetry on one of these axes, I would probably try to also support that with asymmetry on other axes. Um, so just to uh, give like um, more structural support, more narrative support, more support for like people doing that. Um, there's also maybe maybe we're sliding too much into a neutral zone in that um, I'm not sure just everybody having different things is asymmetry, right? If we each have a different theme, we aren't doing the same thing, but we're having perfectly even slices of the pie. Right, we're just it's kind of a different filling in the blank. Um, maybe that's not asymmetry. I mean, it seems like that's just symmetrical, but you know, evenly divvying things up. So the reason why I think it's asymmetrical is because the fiction can be unbalanced towards different fictional poles. Right. So if you are playing in a game that's about uh, the aforementioned warfare and trauma uh, versus family and obligations, and you're playing gray ranks where it's all about Polish child soldiers, you might, you're, you're going to have an asymmetrical relationship to these things because one of these is going to have a much stronger influence than the other in a given portion of the game, perhaps. Uh, so the fact that the fiction can move around and certain people will have the spotlight in certain portions of the, of the game... And then other people will have the spotlight in other portions of the game based on where the fiction moves around. That's sort of why I'm viewing it as asymmetrical, as opposed to something like a D and D. You are just, all part of a cohesive group going right. in, uh, 
going into a dungeon. Your common themes are you are going into a dungeon to slay orcs to get money. See, but I don't think that's true, though. I think if, if you take that definition, then in any role-playing game, uh, at any moment, the, the spotlight could be more intense on someone. Even if it's D&D and it was just in town and talking to my temple because it's all about my temple. Um, I think well, that, that's the thing. thing. Yeah. When you're in town talking to the temple, people split apart. No, but but at the table, only one. We're only playing one game at a time, right? If we spend right, an hour yeah. talking to Red's character, no one else is playing. The game has suddenly. It's like we're playing uh, primetime adventures, right? But now the story is about Fred's character because that's it. Yeah. But I don't think that's. I think that's just social, organic. Sometimes people have more attention than others. I don't. I'm not sure. I'd really call that truly a symmetric game. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm also looking at things like the hacker in Shadowrun, where it's like, no, yo, you have an entire game yeah. over here. Uh, yeah, that so makes more sense to me. That makes more sense to me. Like, I think Shadowrun actually is a really good example because I don't know, like, for me, whenever I play Shadowrun, play Shadowrun, um, the face is getting like a, the face has a very specific burden to carry as like a role player because they have to interact with the NPCs, they have to um, lead the conversations, they have to uh, like bring role play, bring like social role play, um, which other people don't have to bring into the scene. Even though the rules are very similar, their fictional role makes for a very different playstyle, makes for a very different like um, burden to carry um, as part of the storytelling uh, group. And like, um, I think I think that's just like a, a way that I tend to think about asymmetry is also think is not just thinking about authority and um, like, um, difference in rules, but difference in burdens, like difference differences in what people, how people want to take part of a, of a, of a game, and uh, giving them these different options, and also recognizing that they are different and that they need to be supported. For example, like if I have like if I have a face in a group, then I that that player needs to know what's what they what they're going into, and they might have might need to have some kind of support structures in in as part of the game, which um, make sure that. Um, if they if they feel like um, it's getting too much for them, other players can help them out or something. So, um, and I think the games are stronger when we recognize that asymmetry in like just roles. Uh, Spencer, I, I think that's I think that point right there is the thing that's so kind of beautiful about asymmetrical games or games that really lean into asymmetry is that they allow for different playstyles in the same game. So, like this concept that you had, like you were describing of taking on different burdens. I have friends who are, some of them are, their faces in real life. They're just those incredibly charismatic people. And so they're going to be excited to take on a role like that. But then I also have friends who are very introverted, but want to play. And if the game doesn't have systems in place that are going to allow that burden to shift around uh, organically, like in baked into the game, then it's up to us as a table to somehow figure that out. And so I think games that really lean into their asymmetry and kind of give you advice in, on how to do that burden. I think that's fantastic. I think that's, a, I think that's the, the wonderful thing about these types of games. But something yeah. we're saying that all rope... Oh, sorry, Caroline, go ahead. I, I think if, if I were to put games on like kind of a spectrum between symmetrical and asymmetrical, that kind of helps me to think about um, how they work. So for example, when I was brainstorming, okay, what would be... I had, I had had an easy time thinking about asymmetrical games. Thinking about perfectly symmetrical games is a little harder. Fiasco was the one that I felt fit the most firmly in that where the spotlight's going to move around while we're playing, but every player has the same thing they're doing on their turn. Um, there's very little choice about what you are going to do fictionally. No one player has more um, narrative responsibility or power than another player. 
If you go look into something like microscope or epitaph, you are still having, everyone has the same power, the same kind of moves that they can do, but there's that choice that Sasha pointed out about different ways that you can choose to engage with the fiction. So you can skew it, you can make it more asymmetrical by player choice. Um, but then there's games like Polaris or Shock where there's a very rigid uh, player role um, that you don't have a choice about where you're going to, uh, how you're going to be able to contribute to the fiction. It's mapped out for you in the rules of the game. Um, and those games um, uh, deal with that asymmetry by having simultaneous stories going um, where players are doing each of the roles um, within their own story. That's a good question. Actually, the, before before we hit this panel, I had been making notes and I was like, oh yeah, asymmetrical Shock and Polaris. Um, I don't know if everyone here has played Shock and Polaris, but we, we Caroline and I kind of grew up on Shock and Polaris, so they're, they're like mainstays in our in our culture. Um, but then I was thinking about it, I was like, I don't know if they're asymmetrical, the more I thought about it. Because it's like, so in, in Shock, for example, uh, we usually played a three-player and you have, you're, you're playing either an antagonist or a protagonist and you're doing both. You're just taking turns. Like if I'm, if I'm playing in your story where you're the protagonist, I'm now playing my antagonist and we go around the table in pairs like that. So we're doing different things, but we're all doing the same things. We're just taking different turns doing the same thing, you know? And like, so I'm not sure that's asymmetrical. And then likewise, um, Polaris, you have four people exactly, and you've got this relationship with the person mm -hmm. across from you, antagonist, protagonist, but that just keeps moving around. You're always um, either in that role, the direct thing, or the tennis role, the directly yeah. opposing, or you're on the sidelines, and it just keeps moving around depending on whose turn it is. So they're, they're, everyone's actually doing exactly the same thing, just at different times. So I was like, wait, that's actually yeah. not asymmetrical at all. That's just and and as a designer, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, I bet they both of those designers decided to do those games that way, where you have those simultaneous stories where you're taking turns doing that, because there's kind of a draw towards symmetry. There's a draw in GMless spaces, particularly about giving players the same um, responsibilities and asking them to do the same things um, for equality, which I think is great. Um, well, I think I think historically, right, Steve, we had decades of D&D &D or, you know, D&D-like games, and we had this relationship of, like, the GM and the players and the idea of, like, what if we tried to make everybody equal was this radical idea, right? And so I think it's weird to, I mean, it makes perfect sense. You'd go from, like, GM, total asymmetry, let's have perfect equality, even if it varies. So then to kind of swing back around, it's like, hey, why can we can we make things uneven again, but, like, healthy uneven? Is actually the, is to me that's the interesting question. Can we can we make it not just I say tyranny in a nice way. I don't you know tyranny in the sense that one one player is in control of a, of a a big chunk of the thing. Um, can we make it be uneven but still cool? Is the interesting part. Um, I'm not sure so, got a hand up. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead, Sasha. No, uh, like um, the thing that I oh no, no, I need to gather myself. But um, the thing that um. When we talk about like making things um, uneven but in an interesting way, um, I think um, I think I lost my point. Okay, uh, no, uh, Jason, you go first. Um, I okay. need to regather my point. <laughs> uh, so there was actually a comment in a couple comments in the chat that are worth while bringing up. Um, what is the difference between asymmetry and difference? And uh, more interestingly, uh, there's a difference between asymmetric play and asymmetric design. 100% both. So Polaris is asymmetric play. Well, and it's a natural... Well, no, it's asymmetric yeah. play. At any instance of play, it's right. asymmetric. 
Right. But the design is symmetrical. But couldn't you say that about almost any game? It's like if we're in a D&D fight and it's my turn to go, I'm rolling dice and you're not. I think it just, it gets very, uh, we're kind of reducing the interest in that topic, I think. I think there's much more interesting. There's a lot of interesting portions to this. So, Sasha. But maybe it's not interesting trying to define what is is asymmetric and what is not, because then we're talking about binaries. There are no binaries. Um, Yeah. But um, like, there are no like concrete things. So, um, like, I think it's interesting to talk about how to recognize that storytelling is, um, as we like explored in like, oh, this is all kind of asymmetric in some ways, is inherently somewhat asymmetric because people tell stories differently. If you have different people telling stories, it's going to be somewhat asymmetric. So. I think the interesting question for me isn't what is an asymmetric game, but how, but how and why? Why should we as designers lean into asymmetric, lean into this, that asymmetry, and um, why would we do that? Like, why would we do that? How can we do that? It's more interesting to me in than defining when it is really asymmetric because it's always going to be asymmetric in some ways, um, because like setting and uh, like storytelling demands it in some way. I'd like to I'd like to follow up on that because I think that's really important. Asking why why would we do this? Why would we try and make designs that are inherently asymmetrical? And it, it's um, sort of as I mentioned earlier, it's because it allows for multiple play styles, right? So just to use my my own game for example, Slayers is a monster hunting game, and the asymmetry comes in the combat. So people roll dice differently when they're fighting these monsters. And I, in, I, the game itself has classes that I would say are easy classes and then classes that are complex classes. And I've got friends who would be interested in playing a monster hunting game, but have no interest in really learning any kind of rules or certainly heavy rules. And so by giving them an, a game that says, well, you can buy into this as much as you want, um, we're, we're opening up our games to a wider range of, of folks. And I think that's super, super important. Actually, another, I mean, another totally different angle, I think that's totally true, but another totally different angle um, from my point of view is that um, by being asymmetrical, by letting people contribute to different aspects of the fiction or different aspects of the story or push it in different ways, um, you can actually create, I don't want to say antagonism, because that's not what I mean, but but conflict or interesting tension in the game. Um, if both of us, if all of us at the table are just uh, controlling the same aspects of the game, it's rather like head to head, like, I say this happens. You say this happens. Okay, that's that's cool. We're just negotiating. Um, but like for, like Kingdom, for example, uh, by divvying up the ways different players can influence what's happening in the fiction, we are creating a more complicated story for each other that we cannot easily predict and control. And so it's it's interesting. We're surprised. We're like, oh, you get to decide what happens if we make this decision, but I decide how people feel about it. Right? We're slicing the pie up in different ways, um, and it and it makes us kind of go. It helps us be surprised by each other, which is really the fun part of games in general, right? Um, and even when we think we kind of agree, we because we're we're not adding things in nice even order, we we wind up creating um, more challenging situations that are exciting. Sasha, uh, oh, yeah, I, I think like a big part that's like comes out of that too is that um, if everyone has like all of the things to keep up with, like all of the storytelling to um, to care about. Um, then it gets very messy. Then th- there's a big burden on everyone to keep track of every little thing, to prepare everything. And I think there's a really big um, relief in knowing what your role in the story is, like in being able to prepare for that role. Like, and that can be the GM, that can be um, knowing that, that in Kingdom I will um, decide um, the rules that are to come or that I will have to um, think about the reaction of pe- that, that people are going to have. Um, and um, 
and that's also like obviously like when we talk about like traditional TTRPGs also also applies to um, the different uh, the different like roles people take on in the party, um, and it very much also applies to um, when we talk because we talked about like TTRPGs uh, going in the direction of saying okay how can we have like um, no no no, um, no no dice no masters in a way um, when we talk about games like this like uh, belonging outside belonging games they also very much divide up like um, storytelling responsibility through the um, setting elements. Um, which like give say like okay you are going to play um, the, um, the the white the, the gangs that are roaming through the street um, through the streets or you're going to play the mystical things in the ground, and that's also like gives people specific roles to think about and then prepare things and surprise others, which pretty nice to do. <laughs> like, have you have you has anyone here ever played the Dune board game? The old the old Dune board game. Yeah. It's I, like Spencer. I held it in my hands and almost bought it uh, and then put it down. No, <laughs> I, dude, it's it's so good. No, it's so good. Particularly it's the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, it is so good. Yeah, yeah, and the stuff you're talking about in your game design, you really you really want to play it. Um, but it's interesting because it's it's it is true. It is like the most asymmetric thing ever, right? It's it's so asymmetric, um, so much so that when you change, when you, you play it twice in a row and you switch to a different um, faction. You have to just completely rewire your brain, um, or you're mm. you get crushed because you're you're playing the game completely differently with different goals and different different methods. But what's interesting, I think, kind of getting back to kind of the stuff that you were saying, Sasha, about that we we each have our different way of participating. The other thing that's interesting is that then you, like with Dune, you can be kind of you are all competing to win, but you're you're not in the same niche. You're kind of operating at different levels. So it's like I could be down here making all this progress. And you're up here making all this progress. We're not really competing head to head, and yet we all feel like we're um, uh, we're pursuing our agenda. So it's like it's like it allows you competitive play that is not directly competitive, not exactly head to head. But um, Caroline, you play, do you play it? Oh, a long time ago. We did not get yeah. very far. Someone won very early. <laughs> was it was it you? Was it? <laughs> it was not me. I would remember it better if it were me. A similar sort of thing you see with Root the board game, which I think we were talking about in our pre going live thing where every, you know, if you want to play the vagabond, you don't have to be, you don't have to be in conflict with anybody. Technically you could just go scampering around in the forest and digging around in ruins and have so much fun while other two people are actually literally at war with one another. And then you can kind of choose to choose the play style that fits what you're looking for that evening as you sit down at the table. Uh, That kind of leads me to like a, Point that's kind of interesting to me, which is um, like in video games, um, when, when we design video games, like a thing that uh, is a big part of flow design is to think about um, dynamic difficulty adjustment. So um, giving players the opportunity to adjust the difficulty of play while they do it. And I think we have a very similar thing that we can have going on in TTRPGs, where we can have like um, dynamic um, like agency or um, involvement or like um, narrative role adjustment, where you can like adjust your role while you're playing, where, where you can um, like choose like the the kind of narrative involvement you want to have when you like pick a class and uh, pick a class pick pick like a role or like um in kingdom when i would when i would be like okay i don't want to do that with my character anymore i would i'm kind of exhausted from that kind of play i can switch to something else um like i can like combine my my needs as a player with my storytelling and uh that creates both more interesting storytelling because it pushes us into a little different directions and allows us to have like a more like pleasant play experience yeah no i think, I think, I think like what Okay, Carol. 
I think that also um, highlights something that I think about as a designer when I'm making an asymmetric game is in some of these games, you have the opportunity to choose and change and engage in different ways throughout the game. In other games, you're uh, starting play and the decision that you make at the beginning of what role you're going to take is going to impact how you're able to interact with the fiction. And as a designer, I think it's it's so important to be able to um, telegraph that information very early um, so that players can make really good informed decisions about what, what they're going to be doing. In, in a game where everyone's doing the same thing throughout, um, that, that there's no initial decision that can kind of like railroad you somewhere you don't want to be. Yeah, it's, it's truly sad to be like, oh, I'm in the role and I didn't understand it. And now I, I don't yeah. like it. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to play a dwarf anymore. It's too complicated. <laughs> it's no fun. <laughs> I think. Oh, I think. Kind of okay. Again, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, go you're, ahead. You're I was saying that what, what Spencer said before. I, I realized. So Spencer was saying the thing about the the like the complexity of play. Um, the like. Oh, I want to play a simple class. I want to play a more complicated class. Um, I think that exact thing. It sounds. It makes sense in a tactical game, but it also translates completely to like um, like uh, story games, role playing games, things like that too. Or you know what I mean? Not uh, uh, more narrative games. I mean not tactical games. Like you know, if you're playing Kingdom, if you're playing like a role like powers like i just whatever i do is what i do i don't i'm not i'm not thinking meta i just make actions and those are the thing but if i'm playing perspective i'm doing a much more complicated i'm figuring out what i think the future should be um and kind of like what you were saying sasha that those different roles give you different they require different load on your your creative uh brain that you have to you have to kind of do different things to fulfill each of those roles some are very easy and organic, and some are much more like thinky, 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 plotty. Um, so, yeah, this is fascinating. We could have this conversation for five hours solid. Um, so, I think I've seen probably three different major modes of asymmetrical game design that take it from radically different perspectives. Uh, one is the rotating roles approach. This is what we found in Polaris, uh, Shock, Downfall, Posthuman Pathways, etc. Uh, whereby, for this scene, everyone has this particular set of distributions of authorities. Then we move those around. So, um, you're playing different parts of the game in each scene. There is the um, sort of the archipelago model, which is the everyone has thematic and fictional bits that they're in charge of. Uh, they're using the same system. So it is effectively uh, roll 2d6 to do a thing with your fictional domain. Um, everyone is still rolling 2d6, but my fictional domain is the storm. And yours is wine and revelry. Okay, um, so you're there's a lot of asymmetry in where the fiction goes, but mechanically you're identical. And then you get the true asymmetry, which are the kingdoms, uh, the uh, the roots of the world, where you are. Um, you're really. Everyone has their own unique mechanics. Uh, Slayers is also in that category for combat. Um, everyone has their own unique mechanics that interact with the greater system. And these different components 
uh, interact with each other. Uh, I was doing some mega game design, and it was actually quite fascinating because that's what it was. It was a vast asymmetrical game where each subcomponent had their own entire mini game that hooked together with a common currency and common information exchanges. Um, and I think that's the that is the truest form of asymmetrical design and where we have the most room to grow, at least in my opinion. Spencer. I just, I want to, I want to echo that because I'm excited because you talk about it growing because what I, to, to talk about my game once more, uh, I, I ran a jam, a game jam for Slayers afterwards. Uh, and I invited people to add to the game, to, to make whatever you wanted, any kind of class, anything, and make whatever rules. So you could do dice stacking, you could do cards, you could play with dominoes for all you want. Everybody's still playing Slayers at the same time, but they're doing it very differently. Um, and so I want to—I agree, and I think that's the thing that's most exciting to me about asymmetry games is that we have the ability to push the envelope on RPGs in a really cool way now uh, with some of this stuff. Once people realize that that's allowed, because I think a lot of people are, didn't realize that you could do that. Like I think. Many of us are just still used to, from the trad gaming perspective, are used to this idea of we all follow the rules. Um, and so I think that's one of the exciting things, for me at least. Session. Like, because, like, because you mentioned like following the rules and um, that kind of like, and that ad adding on to the rules, I think something that I've experimented with in Of Bodies is um, the idea that um, like a lot of, if, if you look at like a lot of um, like, um, um, storytelling games that um have can have very view uh have rules that are very easy to like understand like you understand what's going on um you become a designer while playing in that way um where you become um uh, where you develop the ability to judge how the rules affect the game uh, what they do with the game and how that develops and um i think like something that i wanted to use in of bodies and um experiment with is um using that and like having part of the game be to uh consent and modify the rules or add to them and say, okay, I kind of want the GM to get these additional things. I want to take this uh, this thing that the GM could do and give it the, give it to the players or move something from agenda to agenda or something like, something like that. And um, like embrace the, like try, try to teach the players the rule in a way, um, like the players, including the GM and stuff, the rules in a way where they can um, make hacking them as to part of the game and adding to them as part of the game. Um, to then also like further develop that symmetry into the kind of asymmetry that they want um, and that they personally would like to have in their game. Yeah. Um, so since we're all really interested in the effectively the true asymmetrical games uh, by this completely objective categorization. <laughs> Caroline's like, um, Caroline <laughs> I, for clarity, I have literally designed the other two types, and I'm super jealous and wish I could design a true asymmetrical. Um, um, but why? I mean, like, I think that's the real yeah. question. Like, I don't, I'm yeah. not sure they're, the one's better than the other. I think it's just, I mean, I don't think you're saying they are. I'm just saying, so, I think it's, uh, they, it's like a tool for a purpose, right? Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. so there, let's talk about the strengths and the weaknesses of uh, the true asymmetrical and, and like asymmetrical design on a whole. Um, so, for instance, 
a really good strength that I see is replayability. The experience of play is radically different. Uh, when you are, the more asymmetrical the game is, the more different the game is. Um, I have played Kingdom, uh, and I was lucky enough to have moved between Touchstone and Power at one point. And the game changed completely on me. Um, but I could have gone the entire game just staying in a single role, just dealing with this corner of this slice of the pie. And it would have given me a radically different experience from my neighbor who is entirely dealing with the other corner of the pie. Uh, so I think replayability is a huge thing, and that goes up nearly exponentially the more roles you have. Because you get things like, um, in Dune, for instance, what happens in Dune when you swap out the Harkonnens and uh, put in the Talaxan instead? Oh, like, yeah. What, yeah. Everything yeah. breaks and changes. And I think the thing, yeah, the th yeah, the thing we haven't talked about is also not just the role that you play, but the role that the combination of roles at the table, right? Like if if um, you know, we're using Kingdom as an example, but like you know, three people are power, one person's touchstone. You know, it's two perspectives, two touchstones. You know, like the combinations, um, the possible combinations radically change the game. Um, whereas I think there's some games that are, uh, you know, what I mean, like where 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 all the roles are necessary, you have to have like a more of a balance necessarily. Um, uh, but I think, I, I segue to a different thing, though. I think you were talking about the strengths and weaknesses. There's the dark side. Let's talk about the dark side of asymmetric play, everybody. The dark side. Like, the I dark side... GM'd is, games are symmetric. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? I what? don't think GM'd games are symmetric. I think they're very asymmetric, and it's maybe the dark side. of when, Oh, they're, well, when, they're totally when, asymmetric. Yeah. So the dark side, yeah. to me, is like one player has way too much control, and everyone else feels steamrolled. Exactly, and I was even say non-GM games where that can happen. Where if it's yeah. like if there's if there's a you know we're, even we're playing Fiasco, any example, any example that's theoretically balanced, one person like I could just keep talking during this panel. Mm -hmm. I could just go on and on and on, and you guys would be like, <laughs> "Why won't he shut up?" <laughs> I mean, that can happen at any table, right? Unless the rules can stop it. I guess even if the rules try to stop it, people can still just keep talking and talking. The rules, talking. Sasha, talk now. The... <laughs> no more bed. <laughs> No, but like, um, wait, but was that rules or was that just player intervention? That was okay, social player intervention. It's good ruling. job. It's rulings, not rules. <laughs> uh, the thing is, like, um, the thing is, uh, you, we said right now that that is like a um problem with asymmetric rules, but I think it can also be like it can be a strength because, as you just said, it can happen in Fiasco too. But in Fiasco, we don't know that it's happening. In a, in a in a game with the GM or in a game like um like Kingdom um or in a game like in, in any game like any kind of asymmetric game like when I see the different roles I can prepare myself um on how they will interact with the game and I can write into the rule advice and stuff um that people should maybe not go overboard with them <laughs> and um, maybe give like, <laughs> give, like modes, like maybe give like more, give like um safety mechanics for the other players um to intersect and to interject with the other rules and say hey uh give us some space with that um or to veto if they just steamroll their characters or something um because their their role can do that um so i think asymmetric rules can be very good at actually like flagging that and then also giving tools to handling it um yeah uh spencer 
One thing I want to mention based off of what uh, Carolyn mentioned about GMs having so much power in some of these games, and that that's certainly an asymmetrical power balance, is there's also the responsibility of the rules and knowing the rules. Because um, I know that certain games take different perspectives on who's responsible for knowing the rules and who's the arbitrator of the rules. And when we have games that have 10 plus different roles that all play the game very differently, and a GM, does the GM have to know how to play all of those roles or all the rules of all those roles? You know, as a table, you have to come up with an understanding about who's going to take on that cognitive load because it, that could be daunting for somebody. Uh, and it can be the sort of task that, again, if a new player says, well, this game sounds really cool, but I have to learn how all these other nine roles work. I just want to know this. You know, that's that's one of those kind of dark side things that we're talking about here. Um, so I would actually like to redeem the dark side. Um, specifically, I'd like to point out uh, Dog Eat Dog. Dog Eat Dog, for those who haven't uh, checked it out, is a game of colonialism. And the richest player at the table takes the place of the colonizer. Uh, yes, you have to have that awkward conversation about money. It's great. Um, but all of the rules are intentionally designed to be uh, using broken social scripts of an abusive GM to replicate the social dynamics of an abusive colonizer. For instance, um, you roll the dice, and if the uh, colonizer doesn't like the outcome, they can fiat overruled what the dice said. So it's a, like, it is intentionally using the asymmetric, dysfunctional GM role for a thematic reason, which actually gives it a lot more richness. Like, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of nuance there. Um, and, I mean, a lot of this comes down to the old classic GM-less, uh, how are we distributing our authorities discussions. Uh, do we have a lot of power in one uh, and equal uh, low levels of power in the others? Uh, do you have two GMs uh, and three players? Do you have uh, four GMs and one player? Um, I just I thought we come to the point where you could say classic and GMless in the same sentence. <laughs> I I know it's isn't Cla it classic good old good old fashioned GMless. <laughs> <laughs> um so well here's the here's so the fun question. When did the forge start? Oh, I don't know, late nineties. <laughs> yeah. It's twenty twenty. Well, the first GMS game. Right. You gotta say like uh what the pool, I guess is the technically the first uh, first GMS game. The first GMS. No, oh, sorry, not GMS. Yeah, it's not GMS at all. What are we talking about? The pool is not even slightly GMS. Uh That's a good question. What was the first GMS? I feel like I knew this a second ago. It doesn't matter. It's not. It's not. Um, anyways, um, well, but like um, the uh, fictional uh, asymmetry thing shows up in Amber, where everyone has complete ownership over different domains. Like I will always win on warfare, unless we change the domains around. Like there's a lot of we've we've got bits of this in some of the old games. Um, we've got two GM games, um, uh, like Wraith, uh, back in the day. So, yeah, there's a lot there. 
Um, so we have a lot of questions uh, that some folks have been re kind enough to repost when my Twitch broke. Um, so uh, let's go through those. Um, so uh, how do you develop the center space to be strongly engaged by asymmetry in RPGs? Board games are great for this because you can have a shared space, the board, in which each play, uh, group engages differently. But I'm not sure how to map that in, a G in an RPG. So what is the common element in an, a strongly asymmetrical game that people are interacting with? And how do you track that? I think that so largely I, depends on... Oh, go ahead, Karen. Yeah. I can speak to my, my two asymmetrical games. So um, Downfall was chosen to be asymmetric um, because I wanted to have a story focus on a single character. And I wanted to divide that responsibility up between players of antagonizing that character, challenging that character, and developing the world within play. Um, so we all have a, a shared understanding of the world that we build together. And then we all have a shared goal of um, exploring the central character's story. In the game I'm currently working on, Fedora Noir, um, it's a similar um, dynamic where I want to tell us a specific genre of story. So we have a shared um, idea of the kind of beats that this uh, that a, a um, detective noir would follow. Um, and likewise, we're focusing on a shared central story. Um, the way I'm physically mapping that into a shared play space is with um, cards on the table. And I would imagine that my, my initial thought about the answer to that question is it's the, a tabletop RPG. We're sharing the space, the physical space of the table where we're laying down all of our information. Then we're sharing the narrative space of a story that we're creating together. I think the thing, the thing, the, the, I, mean, I was about to answer that Caroline's exact same answer, except that um, like Downfall, for example, that we built this world together. We care about this yeah. world. We're not playing a bunch of different separate stories. We have a culture we built together. Um, and that's what we care about. We care about the story of this one person. Um, you know, the kingdom, same thing. It's the kingdom is the thing that ties yeah. us together. And I think the question is very astute because you have to, I think, the more asymmetrical it is, the more you have to be like, but are we on the same page and have to have something that really is um, tying us together um, in the fiction to make it interesting. Um, so I have seen information being the thing that ties everyone together. Um, I, if I do this, then you know about it over there. So that hooks things up. And I've seen resources, uh, like currency in more practical perspective. Oh, I'm passing all the dice over here. So now you've got more dice over here so you can play your game more interestingly. Um, uh, in one of my games, uh, Post-Human Pathways, uh, it's actually, um, a common fictional setting, but you have three uh, interweaving but separate storylines. So each of the characters may not ever run into each other, but they're sharing the same world and sort of viewing different lenses on the same world. Um, but those are just a couple of the things I've seen. Uh, any other answers to that, or should we go to the next question? I, I would just that, echo think... what everyone else. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, go first. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say I would just echo what everyone else said. You know, I think it kind of depends on those three categories you had talked about earlier, Jason. That kind of helps establish what the central thing is that we care about. I think I agree with it. You know, it's a tabletop RPG, so it's it's the tabletop still unifies most of us, but then also 
the fictional space, the, the story that we all have buy-in towards. Um, yeah. Perfect. All right. Sorry, go, go. No, the thing that I, um, like, um, that I wanted to kind of link back to is like, um, we had like earlier, um, this talk about, um, like antagonism in art, in storytelling games and how asymmetry can feed into that. And I think um, this also plays into, like, we are not just developing the same story, which is obviously that's the thing that binds us together. We are developing a shared story, and some of our stories are going to intersect. But, like, the ways in which they intersect are, are bound by our, the goals of our characters or, like, the thing we play, um, like, um, the ways those goals might uh, run against each other and might um, might interject or might, um, like, help each other or... Um, or um, one foul like um different needs of our setting elements or, or elements that we play and i think um when we like think about what these are um it can uh, make for where we like we can try to codify these in rules like when we talk about like um giving uh, information to people then yes then it should be like a thing that our characters sh uh, sh uh, care about information and that is something that um we can express in the rules or something and um like i think of course, of course, we have the story as a center point, but I think like these um, interwoven like um, uh, wants, needs, goals are like a strong thing, thing to think about when we think about how different um, asymmetric roles tie together. All right. So one more question. Uh, thank you for Chernando uh, for reposting re re a question for Rubblewist. Uh, asymmetrical game design can have an impact on the culture and social situation at the table. In some cases, this impact can be negative, at least negative for some players. So I'm wondering about how you think about the ways in which asymmetrical design might have un unintended repercussions in the social relationships between players. Sorry? Oh, sorry. I think that was a 10-minute um, warning. Okay, I see. Thank you. Um, oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, I, the way I think about that is, again, in my responsibility as a designer, and then again, as a facilitator in being very clear about what players are going to do when they make decisions about who they're playing or what role they're playing. Being clear about that when I'm facilitating, when I'm pitching the game, when I'm describing the game, people should know that this is a game where you might uh, have a lot of control, you might have a little control, you might have control over these kind of things. When we're facilitating, um, being very mindful of keeping eyes on the table to see, um, to, to manage those uh, transitions of uh, power, if there are those within the game. Um, but it is something, I think that's very important to think about, for sure. I think it's, def it's definitely easier to make symmetry. Equality yeah. is easier, because you can say, hey, I gave everyone the same tools. It's not my fault if things break down at the table. You know, as a designer, I try to level the playing field, which is awesome. We should level the playing field. Um, so designing asymmetrically is more challenging just mechanically, right? Because, like, you got to have different widgets that still come out kind of interestingly and fairly, right? You want to be like, because you really don't want, you want any role in the game to be like, well, this role is terrible and no one's going to enjoy it. That would be no good. Um, so it's harder, obviously, just mechanically so. Um, Maybe that's why there's fewer asymmetrical games. <laughs> maybe that's it's, it's maybe that's part of the problem. Uh, Sasha, um, I think like um, like obviously like there's like the way to design the roles themselves in a way where they um don't don't uh, have these consequences. But like 
I think we know from like just uh, like very symmetric play too that these these things these things can happen. So I think for me, um, like especially in asymmetric games, it's important for me to uh, give forward um, like um, some kind of tools for players to mitigate that damage to like navigate these spaces. Uh, like um, uh, I think Wonder Home has a very good uh, like set of um, set of things for that, which are which are like these. Um, uh, let's do, uh, like which are things to say to other people uh, while you play on there. Let's do this instead. Do we want to? Where to next? What do you think? Hold on, no, and walking away. Or like um in of bodies, I gave um like shared moves for players and uh, and GMs, which were um ask for suggestions, ask follow up questions, share your excitement, call for a pause, stop a scene, speak about what troubles you, and share your ideas. And the idea of those was to um like think about the ways in which the different um, like loads that people can carry, the different roads uh, can cause problems and give them like tools to specifically address these. For example, if like I'm as, I'm as some, if I have a role where I have like a lot of like storytelling um, like uh, agency and um, like have to carry a lot of that forward, I'm incredibly anxious um, about like um, fucking up. <laughs> so like um, giving, like having other people share, the, share their excitement will be like pure, pure like, um, I don't know, a pure healing potion for me, <laughs> like because yeah. just works works wonders. So I give this tool in my games to uh, to uh, like encourage people to do that, and yeah. Uh, so one thing that that I would love to see more experimentation with is moving past equality in games and moving to equity in games. I would love to see uh, asymmetric games designed specifically to correct power imbalances where uh, there's rules hard-coded in place uh, where uh, if a male player talks over a female player, then there's a, a mechanical disincentive for this. Like, there's a lot of interesting oh, social dynamics. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> That's just like, Ugh. no way. Sorry. There, there's a lot of interesting social dynamics that I think someone could intentionally play with to mm -hmm. um, communicate different messages. Um, now, I'm not necessarily the one to do it, but I think that there's a space there that we haven't examined, uh, writ large. Um, and there's one more question, and then I have to disappear, because this panel's way too asymmetric right now. Um, so, uh, the last question, uh, before people wrap up is, uh, how do you account for helping players account for social power differentials? that different game approaches and tools can create? How do you account for mechanical asymmetry informing social asymmetry? Which is the same broad topic, but a slightly different take on it. Um, I might throw it, well, for the, the uh, not exactly an asymmetrical game uh, term by term, but it may, any, as Caroline pointed out before, microscope is asymmetric in the sense that when you choose, the different moves you choose at any moment do very different things, but it, but it actively, deals with social imbalances by basically telling other players they have to shut up and wait while someone else... You can't make suggestions, you can't prompt people. Whose ever turn it is, it's their turn to make something up. And it could be something big, it could be something small, but it's your turn. Um, and everyone else can just relax and wait and just be cool. Um, it's it's a non-coaching, non-leaning on people game. And the, the, the fun of that is that then you're often surprised by people who previously in social situations would not contribute because they were not, they were just too shy or retiring, suddenly make amazing stuff or just anything. And everyone else is like, that's amazing. That's fantastic. And we all build on it. Um, 
but Thank that's you. very that's a very blunt way to do it. Uh, I'm disappearing. Uh, so uh, people can find me at Genesis of Legend on Twitter.com or in the Concord Room in five minutes. Bye. Hey, thank you, Jason. Bye, Jason. Thank you for moderating. Hey, didn't no, uh, didn't it's chaos. Uh, I think don't don't some people have like some Kickstarters they want to talk about? Wasn't there some like? Do you ever? I have one going on. <laughs> yeah, I thought you had one you wanted to, to talk about at some point. Oh, I mean, it's it's an extension on Slayers, which is my asymmetric game. The whole reason I'm here, I have a Kickstarter for uh, a supplement for it called Dust Up right now. There's, I think, nine days left on the campaign. Time doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, but it is a it's a supplemental zine that uh, I'm working on with a very good friend of mine. Uh, and it's 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 basically a setting material. So it has lots of locations, NPCs, tables, adventure hooks, monsters, new class, because that's Slayer's whole thing is that each class plays the game differently. So now you got a whole new way to play the game differently uh, than you had before. So that's up on Kickstarter right now. Uh, I think if you just search Dust, you should probably find it. Sasha, Caroline, what are you two working on? Sasha, you want to go first? Uh... No, you go first. Okay, sure. Um, so I'm, work <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on a game called Fedora Noir um, right now, which is a collaboration between uh, me and my buddy Morgan Simpson. Uh, it's a film noir uh, game uh, where uh, the asymmetry in it is uh, one player. There's there's four roles, another hard-coded number of players game, uh, but there's four roles. There's uh, the detective, uh, the detective's partner, the detective's flame, the romantic interest, and the detective's hat. And the asymmetry comes in um, between uh, the, the character of the detective is split between two players. One player, the detective, narrates the detective's actions uh, and speech, and the hat is their inner monologue a la uh, a film noir. Um, so it plays with very uh, separated uh, player roles. And right now, as I'm playtesting, um, it's about finding balance between those and finding support between those. Um, because uh, when it works uh, well, it, it has a very fun um, dramatic interplay. Um, and yeah, I'm working on that. Probably uh, launch that Kickstarter around March. We'll see. I don't know. Time time say, again is meaningless. You also get to say you're a hat, which is really fun. I, yeah, <laughs> like, one player gets to be a hat. <laughs> like, yeah. That is so cool. That's so super cool. cool. I'm very excited about it. Sasha, what about you? What do you, what do you have to? Uh, well, currently I'm designing two games. Uh, one of them is incredibly, incredibly symmetric, um, because uh, it's a um, like uh, like ratchet um, hack uh, for multiple players. Um, it's about uh, playing one person that slowly becomes a place. Um, it's, Wait, uh, what? Kind of <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> so, well, uh, I'm kind of trying to merge the uh, storytelling, um, like storytelling elements of Annihilation and Dark Souls, into cool. like, this game of exploring a um, like a extremely weird place um like that's that's where things have happened and things are continuing to happen and they are slowly, slowly transforming you and all the people you meet and um slowly one after another all the people you meet are turning into places and um when you turn into place the game is over um <laughs> oh, and maybe until then you have discovered the mystery of the place or you didn't probably you didn't can, so can we play be... again can we play again and go in the place that you became can we do that oh that's, i want to i want to sequel that i want to do that I want to do that. That's good. <laughs> I need to think about that because that's really cool. Uh, the thing is, you will go into the places that were once the people you know. Uh, so yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's going to happen. Um, yeah, and okay. uh, also I'm working on a BOB game um, that's uh, with a partner, which is um, going to be about a revolutionary food truck. 
um, and um, <laughs> which gives food to the people. And um, that's uh, going to involve like um, people drawing uh, setting elements, and um, for like uh, in BV step setting elements, and uh, has some like ideas about how people can skip their turns uh, if they don't want to have the narrative agency of a setting element and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you say the name of the the game with the locations? Did you have a title for that yet? Oh, uh, let's. Um, that's Valley of Mist. Um, like Valley a, of Mist. Yeah, I'm currently not. I'm, I'm not settled on Got that it. one because City of Mist yeah. exists. Um, yeah. That's kind of problematic. But like Valley of Mist is a good name for what it is. Ah. Name, <laughs> names are names are terrible. Names are hard. Yeah. Everybody. Never yeah. never name anything. Guys, raise, raise a glass yeah. for having to name things. I hate naming things. This is yeah. the worst. So I hope never, I never name another game. Never again. <laughs> yeah. I hope it can push it into playtest like this this month, but yeah, let's see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ben, are you looking so at awesome. anything? Yeah. I think he just did, did did our did our ghost in the shell just tell us we were out. Okay. Happy election, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Ben, are you oh. working on anything? I'm just I'm just being happy about the election for the moment. I just finished up the the second edition Kingdom uh, Kickstarter, and now I'm just mm. you know basking in this lovely Saturday. So wonderful. Thank you, everyone. It was really wonderful to talk yeah. to you all. Yeah, it's really nice meeting you Fantastic. all. This was, yeah, this yeah, really wonderful. interesting. I gotta say, it, it's 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 really fascinating to meet. Um, I don't mean this in a bad way, but like young young developers making interesting stuff. I think that's that's fantastic. I mean, you, I think Spencer, you said you just got into this like this year, really? Game design? Yeah, the quarantine basically opened this up as a possibility for me. Silver <laughs> uh... <laughs> <So relating. laughs> Awesome. So and I'm, slash... a, oh, I'm I'm a professor by day, and so I get my yeah. teaching done, and then at night I'm like, all right, well, I guess I could either grade or I can five. make games. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. And Sasha, did you? Are you pretty? Are you pretty new? You said I think in the design space. Yeah, I started um, like uh, publishing games on itch like um, last summer. Um, yeah, like, nice, nice. Like nine, I think nine games of different size. Like some like one pages yeah. and one like I think my longest like thirty pages. Um, so yeah, um, like and uh, yeah, like for me, like like uh, the uh, COVID just kind of did the opposite. Of slowing me down a lot because just yeah. threw my days over and i couldn't find time as well as before um but uh i like my, my last big game like came out in february march um <laughs> so um i hope that i'm getting value of mist done soon because i want to have like a bigger one published and i'm, I'm thirsting to publish one again <laughs> yeah. so, let's talk about asymmetrical game experiences pandemic asymmetrical <laughs> game experience right there <laughs> very different very different yeah <laughs>